this morning, we're reading from Matthew chapter 27, verses 45 through 49. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And about three o'clock, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Ali, Ali, Luma Sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. At once one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we continue... In our sermon series on the seven last words of Jesus, we find ourselves here at the cross with Jesus praying out loud to God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think it's important for us before we go into the meaning of of those words and, and the richness of which they mean to us, it's important for us to understand why the Psalms, which this is a Psalm, Psalm 22, are so important. I was teaching a, a Sunday school class downstairs in our fellowship hall. We're actually studying the exact same scriptures that we're doing here in worship. And I mentioned that a lot of the faith-sharing Bibles that are out there uh, intended to give to people that don't have a Bible are usually the New Testament And do you know what they are normally paired with? The New Testament, the faith-sharing New Testament is usually paired with the Psalms. And it's because the Psalms is the book in the Old Testament that is quoted the most in the New Testament. As well as it's the prayer book of the people of God. The Psalms are some of the most beautiful prayers and songs that we have in Scripture. And Jesus prays, or maybe even sings from the cross, the words of Psalm 22. The Psalms are so important that even today, they can be a way of unifying people of faith around the world. Just before Russia invaded Ukraine, one of the rabbis, head rabbis in Ukraine, invited Christians in that country to pray Psalm 31 with them. And so they prayed Psalm 31 together in that country, Christians and Jewish people, praying for God to keep them safe during what was coming their way. There are other Psalms that stand out for people. In fact, one of the most popular may be the 23rd Psalm, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Of course, read almost exclusively from the King James Version Bible. Even though probably you've got a New Revised Standard Version in front of you in the pew, you probably remember the words of the King James Version because that's the one everybody uses. Those words may be sort of stuck in your brain somewhere. And when somebody starts speaking those words, it's almost like you know exactly what's next, like the lyrics of your favorite song. The Psalms are a prayer book for people. They would have sung these. They would have prayed these 
We heard from Susan Robb in our study today that this is one of those psalms that Jesus probably sung in the temple or in the synagogues. It was a psalm that was probably read around the table as they were preparing to eat. They would read a psalm at the dinner table. Praying the psalms is important and it is part of the life of people in scripture. They would have known the psalms. Now, for us to understand what's going on here, it's important to know that Matthew tells us, as Sylvia read, that Jesus has been on the cross for about three hours at this point. He won't be on the cross much longer. For three hours, from about noon until 3 p.m., he's endured the cross. And it's at this point, after three hours of the agony, in which he says in Aramaic, a language of the people, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes a psalm. Now, if what we have said is true, that Jesus would have known this psalm backwards and forwards, front to back, then the whole psalm matters, not just the first introductory words. Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And people around him who've mocked him, who've scorned him, who have cast lots for his clothes, who've treated him like he is anything but human, start sort of mocking him and saying, is he calling for Elijah? Because that word Eli, my God, is connected to the word or the name Elijah, right? And there was a belief that Elijah would return from heaven when it was time for the kingdom of God to begin. So maybe Jesus is praying out, Elijah, come down so I can be saved and the kingdom will be here. And they sort of mocking him said, let's wait and see if Elijah comes. And they're probably looking around saying, I don't see Elijah, right? Continuing to mock Jesus. But he's not calling for Elijah. He's quoting Psalm 22. This is a psalm of lament. It starts off with desperation but it doesn't end there. Notice that my God, my God, why have you forsaken me is a lament. It is basically saying, this is how I feel, right? This is what's going on in my heart, in my head. It's not a complaint per se, but a lament. And the two are slightly different. And we'll come back to that. It is important for us to understand what the word forsaken means too. It doesn't just mean forgotten. Forsaken in scripture in the Bible means abandoned, deserted, turned away from, left behind. In a sense, Jesus is quoting the psalmist who was David, potentially, who felt abandoned. This is Psalm 22. What is Psalm 23? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He is with me all the time and he leads me to green grass and to cool waters. Right next to each other, the same author. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I feel left behind, I feel forgotten, I feel abandoned, I feel deserted. Whatever is going on in the mind of Jesus, we don't have that. All we have are the words that he quotes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, we think of the word forsaken as 
being left behind, a, sort of an accusation in a sense that God abandoned us and so now we are going to list our complaints before God. It's almost like the people who want to see the manager at the restaurant and they want to tell the reason. They just want to complain. They want their money back potentially, but they just want to list their complaints before the manager. We would assume that that's what the psalm is. A psalm of lament is things are so bad, I just want to complain about it. But a lament in scripture is different from the ways in which we go about sometimes in our lives complaining about things, airing our grievances, so to speak. A lament in scripture is always a prayer. It might start from the way we are feeling. It may start from the feeling of being forsaken or abandoned or forgotten, but it ultimately goes back into trust. Dr. Glenn Packiam wrote an article about lament several years ago. And these are three important things after, out of about five or six that he mentions that I think that we need to know about lament or even psalms of lament. Number one is a lament is a prayer for God to act. It is not just a list of complaints to God. It is saying, this is what's happening. This is what I feel. God, I'm looking for you to step in or respond in some way. In a sense, lament is a solemn and desperate prayer to God based on his nature. Because the psalmist, the person who wrote the psalms, knows that God is a God of steadfast love and forgiveness. The same person who wrote Psalm 22 likely wrote Psalm 23. He knows the Lord is his shepherd, but he doesn't feel like it at this moment. He feels shepherdless. And so his prayer is based on God's goodness, the history of God's redeeming work. He's not simply listing these complaints to shame God into action, but asking God to remember who he is, as if God forgot. But to remember his nature and to act in these desperate times. A lament, a psalm of lament, trusts in who God is. The complaints are never meant to hurt God, but to remind God that in my pain, I need you all the more. Pacquiam continues saying that lament is a proof of a relationship. A lament is a proof of a relationship. If we are allowed to bring our feelings and our hurt before God, that's proof of relationship because if we didn't feel like the person in heaven that we're praying to cared, why would we use the energy to pray this? If Jesus felt like he was abandoned by God at that moment, why would he pray the psalm? It's because of the relationship that is there. When we have a relationship with God, we can bring anything to God. Yes, we can even pray things that we know aren't right. We had somebody recently ask me, is it okay if I pray for this? And I said, well, it's okay to pray it, but we probably don't need to feel that because that's not the way Christians could, should think. But it's okay to pray it because we can take any of our prayers to God because he already knows our hearts, right? It's okay to take our doubts before God. It's not something we have to hide. 
But because we have a relationship with God, we can share those things. Pacquiam mentions in his article a very sad situation in Russia captured by Dr. Russell Moore in his book, Adopted for Life. He writes about going into Russia to adopt a child. And Dr. Moore writes about how he and others walked into the nursery in this orphanage and it was silent. It was silent. When we enter into a nursery, whether it be in a home or in a hospital, it's often loud, sometimes even deafening, isn't it? But it's because the child knows that if it cries, someone will come and attend to it. But these children apparently had learned, no matter how much they cry, no one was going to come. And they stopped crying. Lament, prayer before God, is a sign that we have a relationship with God. We can lament. We can believe the other person is listening. We can cry out to God. And that God hears our prayers and will respond. Maybe not in the way we want. Maybe not even on the timeline we would prefer. But God is listening And God will be there. The third thing from Dr. Pacquiam that I want to share with you is that lamentations or psalms of lament are participation in the pain of others. Think about how interesting it is that psalms, songs, scriptures in the Bible pray things that we might think are embarrassing to God, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Shouldn't a text pointing to a holy and wonderful God not say something like that? The Psalms contain that sort of brutal honesty about the human life and that God still is wonderful and holy, but sometimes we in our brokenness or in our pain don't always see God at work. It's because the Bible shares with us the pain of other people. We may not feel forsaken, but when we pray Psalm 22, we are praying the same prayer that someone who is forsaken might feel. Even though Jesus may not have always felt forsaken in his life, maybe at that moment as he's being mocked and betrayed and during the agony of the cross, maybe he feels it as well and he prays that prayer acknowledging that he feels the pain that we all feel. Psalm 22, again, was one of those psalms that people would teach. They would say it at their dinner tables. Children would learn it. They didn't hide the fact that sometimes life is difficult and messy. They allowed psalms of lament to exist so that we knew what it was like to be in pain, so we could identify with those who were in pain. Think about the, song, the parables that Jesus mentions. Who is the best neighbor? Who is the best neighbor? It's not the one who's got their life together. It's the one that recognizes the pain of somebody else and acts. The more Christian we are, the more in tune we are with the pain of others and the more compassionate we are to help. If we become indifferent I'm afraid we're on the wrong path. 
And we need to check our hearts to make sure that we are not allowing them to become hardened by this world. The Psalms are literally the prayers of others and we are invited to pray them. Even the Psalms of lament that teach us how to pray when we feel hopeless or forgotten. When we pray these prayers, when we read these scriptures, we remember that there are those around the world who are hurting or in pain. And so I started with the story about Psalm 31, and maybe it's an opportunity for us as we cringe at the images we see coming out of Ukraine to possibly go home sometime this week and read the 31st Psalm and pray it in prayer, understanding what's going on in the hearts and the lives of others. It's important for us to understand that Jesus prays a psalm of lament on the cross, in a sense, in solidarity with anyone who has or ever will suffer. He suffered. God willingly suffered on the cross for us. He knows our pain. He has walked this road. How many other religions or leaders willingly and openly suffer for the sake of others? How many stories of God are out there where God out of love for people stepped down to earth and went through agony for the sake of redeeming people and getting them back into a right relationship with God? It's not the kind of story that one might write about a mighty, wonderful God. We have a personal God who's willing to walk in the mess with us, who suffers on our behalf, who lets us know that no matter what we ever face, the deepest heartache, the most difficult physical pain, the most trauma, traumatic, heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching thing we experience, that God knows what that's like because his son endured that, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalms of, of lament help us stand in solidarity with people in pain. We may not fully understand their pain. We probably shouldn't say that. I know exactly what you're going through. But maybe we can remember our own pain and the pain of Jesus and to stand with them and to remind them that they are never alone. And Matthew proves that as Jesus is in solidarity with us upon the cross. If you were to read Psalm 22 in its fullness, you will know that it does not stay and lament the whole time. If Jesus mustered enough energy to be able to begin that psalm on the cross, it's possible that there he continued to think about the words, mouth the words, pray the words. As it goes on, Psalm 22 talks about how others will mock the psalmist, how the psalmist is dry and thirsty, his cheeks sort of kind of pull into his mouth because he's so thirsty. These are things that we will encounter later in the season of Lent. 
But ultimately, even after all of that pain and agony, Psalm 22 says that God answers and that God is there and God remembers and God does not fully abandon or forsake. And so Jesus, if he finished that psalm, finishes with trust, finishes with hope. Years ago, in a devotional uh, uh, called Our Daily Bread, there was a devotional based on Psalm 22, and it was written by Dennis Fisher. And in it, he quotes C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which are about demons planning to tempt people away from Christianity. And this is what Dennis Fisher says. He says, in the book, The Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis records an imaginary conversation between a senior devil and a junior devil as they discuss how to properly tempt a Christian. The two devils desired to destroy the believer's faith in God. Be not deceived, the senior devil says to the junior. Our cause is never more in jeopardy than when a human looks around upon the universe in which every trace of God seems to have vanished and asks why he has been forsaken, but then still obeys God. If we give up when we feel forsaken, we're in danger. But if we still stay connected to God, the tempters here have no chance. Because God, in his goodness and his steadfast love and mercy, will prove it otherwise. When we feel forsaken, isn't it wonderful that we are allowed to pray that? We're allowed to say that? That we're allowed to be honest with our doubts and our question marks and then allowed to continue because if we stay on the path, God will guide us to new life and new blessings. When we feel forsaken, we are never alone. Jesus is in solidarity with us in our pain. And if we continue, we may find that God has more in store for us than we could ever imagine. Well, thank you for joining us. And I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m. Or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so. Also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.